I think when God looks at Cincinnati, he doesn't see a thousand churches. He, I think he sees one church, one broken church. And to the extent that my heart begins to really align with that idea that there is one body and that that, that is the reality, the more this concept is going to become exciting for you, it's going to resonate with you, you're going to start having thoughts, emotions, you're going to take actions that are really unique to somebody who is aware of the city church and is desiring as a household to serve the city church. Hey everyone, welcome to the 1000 Houses podcast where we encourage and equip households to make disciples in and through the home. Every episode you'll hear interviews, teachings, and conversations around what it looks like to turn your home into a hub for mission, community, and discipleship. So today's episode is from our 1KH City Partner Coaching Intensive, where we equip leaders in cities across the U.S. and how to raise up 1,000 disciple-making households in their city. If you want to learn more about 1,000 Houses and check out some of our other resources, visit 1KH.org. Let's jump into today's episode. At 1KH, we are constantly emphasizing a unit of the church that is probably the most neglected in the modern Western church context, and that is the household. But in this video, we want to talk about another part of the church, another unit of the church that is also neglected and is a close second. And this is going to be really important for those of you who are leaning into becoming city partners, and that is this idea of the city church what it means to love the city, what it means to, as a household and as a minister in that city for your, your family, your household, to not only build a household, but also to adopt a city. And so I want to talk about what this unit is, what, what, is, what are we talking about with, the, with this city, what is the theology of the city, and practically what does it look like when you begin to think about the church and begin to think about your ministry from a city-facing lens instead of simply either just exclusively your household or exclusively what is traditionally thought of as a local church. So what does that look like? Well, one of the things is that we need to understand the New Testament theology of church. There are really about three different kind of units, three different expressions of this thing we call church. There are three uses of the word in the New Testament for three different kinds of groupings. One is the household, when it says in places like Romans 16, that Paul says, greet the church that meets in your house. And so that's one use of the word ecclesia or church. The second, and maybe the most common, is the city church, right? So this is where Paul will talk to a city like Ephesus, or when Jesus writes letters to the seven uh, city churches in the book of Revelation. So constantly we see this usage of the word church, the ecclesia, this body of believers in a particular city. And then, of course, it's also used for the universal church when Jesus or others refer to the church that is worldwide of all believers who've ever, who've ever lived and who live everywhere. That is the, the universal church, the bride of Christ. Uh, and so those are the three different ways that we view church. Now, it's very important to keep in mind that probably 99% of the use of the word church today at least in the English language, in modern Western uh, cultures, is used for um, not one, any of these three different expressions of church. It's not really talking about a household usually. It's not talking about the whole, all the believers in a city. 
It's not talking about the universal church, although sometimes it is used in that in that regard. But most of the time we say, you know, where do you go to church or, you know, talk about this church or that church. We're really talking about something that's larger than the household, smaller than the city, this, these kinds of branded church, these uh, these worship service ministries that kind of exist as an expression of the church in our culture that, that are really not representing the whole city um, because there's so many denominations, there's so many different brands of church, but they're also much larger often than a household. And so, um, and so it's important to get that our head around that because oftentimes this thing has really sucked the meaning out of not just the household, but also the city church. Uh, when we only use church to refer to this thing in the middle, um, then it makes it very difficult for people to identify with the city church. And so if, you've, if you have uh, difficulty with this concept, it probably is coming from that. We're, we're kind of pointing that out not to uh, poke fun at that particular expression of the church. It's more to understand why this idea of the city church is being so badly neglected. And what you guys are doing as stepping into city partners, you're going to cease neglecting the household church, uh, but you're also going to be stepping into trying to lift up uh, this city church. And so it's important to understand that that's oftentimes what we're talking about. And I think when we talk about adopting a city, when you really think about your city, uh, when I think about my city, what I'm really thinking about is I want to serve or build up the church in my city. That that expression, all the believers, all the different ways that ministries are happening in my city, I want to support that. I want to encourage that. I want to be a part of making that robust and unified and preparing the bride of Christ in my city for the coming of the Messiah. Um, so how do we begin to do this? How do we even begin to shift our mindset? Well, it really starts with um, a simple question I love to ask people that are kind of going through this transition, and that is, how many churches are in your city? And it's really important to say, what's your knee-jerk answer to that? Now, my mine always was, well, I don't know. I mean, if you can open up, the, you know, back in the day, the Yellow Pages. I remember one time back when you had these things, these giant phone books, I would go to church, and I, I could not believe the numbers of churches in my city. And I would sometimes just flip through the pages, just looking at all of these different kinds of churches. In a city like Cincinnati, there's probably at least a thousand of these uh, different kinds of churches. But when we talk about what is the church, the more we really see the church as a universal church with these various sort of expressions, the household, the city, and then all believers, it's important to say that I think when God looks at Cincinnati, he doesn't see a thousand churches. He, I think he sees one church, one broken church. And to the extent that my heart begins to really align with that idea that there is one body and that that, that is the reality, the more this concept is going to become exciting for you, it's going to resonate with you, you're going to start having thoughts, emotions, you're going to take actions that are really unique to somebody who is aware of the city church and is desiring as a household to serve the city church. And so that's where we're starting. That's how we want to think about the number of churches in our city. We don't want to say that in order to dishonor the various expressions of church. Just like we have a household expression of church, there are many congregations in our cities, but that doesn't mean that there are many churches in the kind of highest way that we can, in the most accurate way we can think about the concept of the church. Now, part of what I want to do is just imagine what would happen if you sort of, you know, waved a magic wand and every believer in your city actually thought this way. What if they all saw the the church as unified? Um, what would happen? And so I think that one thing that people imagine is that all of the various smaller expressions of the church would suddenly cease to exist. I don't really think that, that that's realistic or even desirable. There, We need to have lots and lots and lots of different expressions of the church in order to 
do all of the things, create all the different kind of body expressions that are necessary for people to, to live life with. They, they can't relate to the numbers of people that would be in an entire city church when there are thousands of believers in a city. Uh, so what does it even look like to believe in this kind of unity? And this is where I feel like I think we need to understand that it, it's really what's going on in our hearts that that when we are seeing members of other congregations, do we do we see them or recognize them as brothers and sisters of our of our church? Do we do we see them as even though they might be you know a few degrees removed from us on a day to day basis? Do we do I do we identify with them as brothers and sisters, or is there some kind of like, well, you're not a member of my church, you're not a member of my church? I really think that it starts there. Just how do you how do you see that? And when you walk into a church, do you see, do you feel like you're home, even if it's a tradition that's radically different than the traditions that you're used to? But you, because you recognize that this congregation is a part of the city church and you believe that you are a member of that church, you could walk into a church for the first time and just feel at home and, and look around and just in your heart say, well, these are my brothers and sisters. I really think that that is getting close to what Jesus was praying for in John 17. So when Jesus was about to be taken from the earth, right, at, right before the crucifixion, he prays the famous prayer in John 17 and verse 21. He says, I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. So the greatest apologetic for the Messiahship of Jesus, according to this verse, is the unity that is experienced and believed by his body. The body of Messiah is is united. And so the more we begin to believe that, the more the world will begin to recognize that Jesus did come from God. And that's very important. And how does that start? Well, again, it doesn't start with trying to make a united church on the outside. Um, it really starts with believing that the church is already one. You don't have to make or unite the church. The church is united. We just don't recognize it. Um, and we don't protect that oneness that already exists. And this is really what Paul is saying in Ephesians 4. He says in Ephesians 4, uh, verses, verse 3, Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, building yourselves together with peace, for there is one body. The connection between those two lines, there is one body. In other words, it, it, you don't have to make the church united. It is already one. What you need to do is, what he says in the previous verse, keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. That's our job. And so are we doing a good job of keeping the unity? Now, we might be multiple generations removed from when a lot of disunity occurred. And so I'm always asking the question, okay, that may have happened in the past, but in my generation, am I keeping the unity or am I making it worse? Is there ways that I could heal these connections? And I don't think that means like uniformity. That is the idea that we all do the same thing. We all wear the same uniform. I don't think that that's what unity is all about. I do think it's about identity. I think that it has to do with thinking of our the church as one, identifying with our brothers and sisters in the city, and then just naturally doing the kinds of things that somebody who identifies as one, identifies this as one body, might do differently, might do because we feel and believe that we're in the same church. And one of the examples of this is in China, um, a watchman Nee, one of the one of the uh, main leaders of the Chinese church, um, basically made this statement. Uh, he said that there are really only two things that that the Bible um, talks about as as legitimate ways for 
dividing or separating in the church or in the body, and they are heresy and geography. Heresy is if, if you look at a church, you're like, you know what, they don't believe the gospel, and so I don't identify them as part of the city church. That's totally, totally legitimate. It's important to make those distinctions. And so that, that is, there are, you know, various people that claim to be Christians or claim to be a part of the church that really do not believe in the gospel and are really preaching a false gospel. We don't have to unify with those people. But then there is just the reality of geography. It's that the closer people are to me, the more I need to identify with the fact that we should be thinking about each other and coordinating with each other uh, increasingly as we try to be salt and light and reach our city. Um, so that's that's how the Chinese church often has functioned. There was a time in which the missionaries came to China and were really bringing, importing all of their denominational distinctives, all of their disagreements that have taken place in Europe. They were bringing all that, all those things into China. And what began to happen was the Chinese communists really kicked out all the missionaries from mostly North America, Europe, and just said, you know, we don't want you here. Uh, we want to be an atheistic um, country. And the indigenous church in China began to try to think about uh, and identify with each other much more uh, as one body because they really were experiencing the same persecution and they didn't have the kind of historic reasons for separation that might have occurred, you know, 500 years ago in Europe or 150 years ago in in the United States. Those divisions didn't make sense to the Chinese Christians. And I don't know that we should hold on to those generational um, disagreements with the same level of fervor that maybe they did in in those time periods, that we need to do what Paul says and obey this, and that is keep keep the unity, you know, through the bond of peace. And so we want to make sure that we are doing everything, make every effort to keep ourselves united in the spirit through the bond of peace. Now, a lot of people struggle with this perspective because they say, well, what if other people don't agree with me? You know, what if I walk into a church and I identify everyone there as a brother or sister, but they don't turn around and identify me as a brother or sister? Well, my big question is, is that going to change your theology? Because when somebody, I I think it's important to ignore bad theology. If you don't have a good good relationship with somebody, you're brand new uh, kind of acquaintance, you you don't need to feel like they're bad ideas are somehow making it impossible for you to believe biblical ideas. Um, your job is to live what you believe in front of them. And it's more beautiful uh, and it's more consistent biblically to believe that we are one body than it is to really hold up all of these divisive sort of uh, walls against our brothers and sisters in a city. And so it's important just to primarily see yourself as someone who is living that. Now, of course, if people ask you really deep questions and you get into conversation, you have a chance to talk through the biblical theology of the church, then absolutely take that opportunity. But I think that it's really important that when you're just moving through the city and learning that this person's a believer, that person's a believer, that when you find out they go to this church or that church, you don't suddenly start to, you know, rank them in order of uh, whether or not you are going to identify with them in any way. I think that that's, that's deeply unfortunate. One of the um, one of the groups that in the United States and other places have done a really good job of this is uh, the Jewish people. A friend of mine was um, practicing the Sabbath and was a part of a, uh, a business that had a few, he, he found out a few of his colleagues were, were Jewish, and then they found out that he was practicing the Sabbath. And so as soon as they found this out, they said, hey, wait, are you part of the tribe? And he said, no, I'm not Jewish, I'm a Gentile, but we practice the Sabbath. And then these two men were constantly 
uh, talking to him and saying, yeah, but you're, you're a part of the tribe. And he said one day they were even walking past his office and he just poked ahead and he just pointed at my friend and said, part of the tribe. And I, I, was, I was really struck by this story because uh, they, he really wasn't you know, a, a part of at least their ethnic tribe. He wasn't even religiously Jewish. He was you know, a Christian. Um, but in this case, they were so eager to communicate to him that we identify with you, even if you don't, don't identify with us, um, that they constantly took that opportunity to say, we're with you. We're, we're one with you. And I was like, man, what would happen if Christians did this? What would it happen if we were constantly looking at other believers and saying, hey, you're, we're a part of the same family, uh, which is even more powerful than being a part of the same tribe. Um, so I think that's kind of how it practically looks. Now, I want to talk about how to actually adopt a city. That's what, that's what this is all about. This is, this is a mindset shift, um, and there are some practical steps, I think, that we need to think about. So let's talk through uh, five steps. The first one is identify the borders of your city. And this is difficult to do today because there's so much sprawl. It used to be, and it's still the case in Europe, that it's very easy to identify a village or a town or a city because they were built before the automobile. And so every village and town and city tended to be about a day's walk you know, from each other. And so there was all this farmland that always buffered. And so you knew who was in your village. You knew who was in your city. Today, we have a lot of, a lot of us live in cities that were made after the automobile and just started sprawling in every direction. And so it can be really difficult to say, okay, what exactly is my city? Is it my subdivision, my neighborhood, the town I live in, the county I live in? Is it the giant metro area that, that I'm a part of? I would actually say that this is something you should pray about. Uh, and you should ask the Holy Spirit this question. Where are the borders of the city that you called me to? And obviously that starts with just understanding where you live and how people in the area in which you live identify themselves. Do they see themselves as part of the metro area? Do they see themselves a part of a neighborhood? Do they talk a lot about how they're a part of the same town? Um, in Kentucky, it's, it's really common for people to talk about the county. Um, so I, I would start there and begin to ask the Holy Spirit, like, when I think about what's church I'm a part of at the city level, like, where do you see me as a part of that? And don't immediately assume that it should be the largest group, but sometimes, you know, that that does make sense, you know, that you're thinking of, okay, I, I, I people tend to drive, so, you know, 20, 30 minutes to, to be a part of various activities. So maybe it does make sense that this whole metro area is this city that I'm adopting. Um, but I think that's a really important process to go through, to identify the borders of your city. Um, the second one is to fall in love with the city. Uh, this is to say that you need to say, I love my city. Like it's important to to let your heart turn towards your city and actually try to identify with your city. Um, you know, we are members of this city. We are raising our family to serve this city. Uh, and I think this is important because, you know, when Jesus was uh, traveling from village to village in the gospels, he was very uh, specific about identifying cities uh, or villages. And, you know, there was one time where he says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you have been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. And he goes, goes on and lists more cities and talks about Sodom and Gomorrah and how they will, they, they, it will be better for them in the judgment. Um, in other words, Jesus, when he would walk into a city, he would identify the future of that city with how they responded to his claim uh, of being the Messiah. And if that city refused to uh, understand and believe and repent and believe that Jesus is the king, 
uh, is the Messiah, then there was this, you know, or this time, and I think in the Gospels, just uh, receive his message of the kingdom, uh, then, and that, then they would be judged as a city. And so part of loving a city is to be aware that I want to be judged with my city. In other words, I identify with this place and I'm not going to uh, sort of distance myself. I'm going to be the salt and light in this city because I love this city. I want to make sure it's preserved in the kingdom of God. And I really think that there is something about cities. This is why I think cities are unique, even compared to nations. Um, the way the Bible talks about cities, the way that uh, particularly Jesus talks about the judgment day and cities being judged, I think I think that cities somehow are going to be preserved. And I think that when we need to really be carefully thoughtful about the cities in which we live. Um, another thing to consider is to seek the welfare of the city or the prosperity of the city. This was a very shocking thing that the uh, prophet Jeremiah wrote to the exiles in Babylon. And if you were reading how much persecution there was on Babylon, it made a lot of sense for people to think that we want nothing to do with this city. The city is the, the sort of the height of evil. They destroyed the temple. Um, they killed and slaughtered our, our infants. And God tells Jeremiah to write a very shocking thing. He tells them that their responsibility while they're in this 70 years of exile in the city is he says, quote, and, for, and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I send you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. In other words, there's, I'm going to knit you together with this, uh, this Gentile exile city, and you can uh, seek the welfare of the city, and its welfare will be your welfare. Your household will be deeply impacted by what happens in this city. So you better be salt and light in that city. So this is a, this seeking the welfare of the city, I think, is a really uh, important thing because we all are living in exile of some kind. We're all living in cities that are uh, not entirely inside the current kingdom of God and that we're not experiencing um, the, the fullness of his rule and his reign over our cities. And so we want to seek the welfare of the cities in which we live as well. Number four, identify with the church in your city. So part of that is to say, not just to identify with the city, but also, as we've been talking about, the city church. And probably one of the most dramatic ways to do this is to read the letters that Jesus wrote to the seven churches in Revelation and look at what he says in those letters and begin to ask yourself, if I got a letter to my city, would I say, yeah, that's that's me? Even if a lot of the things that Jesus is saying, and, and he tends to kind of have two moves in most of those letters, he will say, you know, this is something that uh, I love about what you're doing, and this I have this against what you're doing. Like this, this is what these are kind of the pros, and these are kind of the cons that are going on. And oftentimes, when I think about when I used to think about this letter, if I were a part of a congregation that really wasn't participating in, let's say, some kind of doctrinal error that Jesus might be correcting our city for, then I'm not a part of that. Like I don't, I'm not responsible at all for the city. That's not how Jesus wrote. He didn't say, okay, because you're separating into different congregations, therefore I'm going to start to think about this as separate congregations. I, no, he wrote a letter to the whole city. And so if, if Jesus were to write a letter to your city, would you receive that and identify and say, yeah, that's, that's on me. Like, yes, I know that church over there is not, you know, really, uh, they're really kind of doing things that are not in line fully with scripture. I feel, you know, responsible. Like I would love to find a way to gently, but thoughtfully correct that congregation, those leaders, what's going on over here. It's not that we have to feel like that's our primary job now. It's just that when you hear about these things and you especially maybe become aware of movements in your city, 
um, really be thoughtful about that. I mean, I've, I've watched a couple of movements in my city towards theological error that really concerned me. And I started praying, and the Lord gave us specific things to do to counter what was going on. And it was kind of pushing through different con- congregations. I would never have even thought to do that if I hadn't gone through this exercise of really thinking about, I identify with the city church, uh, not just my house church or people that I, I know today. The last one, and maybe the most intense, um, and I think this is the longest term kind of transition that I would love to see happen in this area, is to recognize um, those who do function in the kingdom at the city level, city equippers, deacons, and elders. Um, when the Bible talks about these things, the city equippers, it describes in Ephesians 4, the apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, and evangelists, the deacons, it describes in, in 2 Timothy, or 1 Timothy and Titus, or the elders, it's described, it describes in 1 Timothy, Titus, and Acts in different places. These were always uh, talked about at the city level in the New Testament. And I still think to this day that they should be primarily thought of it that way. So who are the equippers that are coming in and out of your city that you need to uh, receive their equipping and potentially send out to other cities? Who are the deacons in your city that are, that are organizing citywide ministries, things like Young Life, you know, maybe a regional director, places like the Union Gospel Mission, places that we kind of call parachurch ministry. To me, they're just city church ministries. They are ministering to a particular area of the city for the sake of the city. And I think we should be very thoughtful about how to encourage these kinds of ministries. And then, of course, there are city elders. These are fathers. These are people that have really have uh, fruitful families that are potentially being called to rule over the city, not in a sort of a vision casting way, the way we think about executive leadership. I really think what elders are in the New Testament are they are overseers. In other words, they, they really are more like have a judicial role in the city, uh, but also a way of encouraging the younger fathers. Uh, and so I think that we want to see these emerge. And so if you recognize a, a city father in your city, then tell them like, wow, I, I see that you, you have a calling that really transcends maybe your particular congregation. And I love what you're doing for the city. And I want to honor that. And so I like to try to find ways to recognize that ministry, to honor that kind of ministry. And that could be contributing financially. You know, that could be uh, asking for their advice. That could be enlisting them in things that you're doing or supporting efforts that they really care about. And so these are really important moves, I think, that we can make. So the assignment is for you all to really think about, are you being called to adopt a city? Are you being called to think about your ministry as a city partner, as somebody who is going to identify with this city and really seek its its spiritual health? Uh, that you're going to take uh, some level of responsibility for for that city. And this is something that your heart is going to do, that you're going to do, that your household will begin to do, that your house church, if you have a house church, will also participate in. So you are committing to being salt and light to this city. And I think this should be something that you you do through a process of prayer, asking, listening. And then as you begin to feel like God is saying, yes, this city, I want to knit your heart with this city. Open your heart to that. And declare that openly and say, yes, I, I am a part of this city church and I want to adopt this city um, as my city, my church, my city, my city church. And then you just begin to do the things naturally. We're going to talk about, you know, lots and lots of ways to, to do this kind of city ministry. But this, it really starts with deciding to identify in this, in this way. So I want you to take some time the next week or two and really uh, do this work. Pray, listen, journal, consider Uh, if God has called you to adopt a city.
Well, friends, thanks for listening to today's episode. If something you heard caught your attention and you'd like to explore what being a city partner with 1KH might look like for you and your family, head on over to 1KH.org slash cities. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you for the next episode.